This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's wonderful that you can join us again this morning. Uh, it really fills my heart of joy to see all of you here once again so that we can hear God's word, especially as we come to the very last chapter in the book of Mark. Let's go to God in prayer together and prepare our hearts to hear from God's word. Dear Father, as we come before you today, truly it is such a great joy and encouragement to come together as your people once again. Help us as we look at your word to see the riches of the grace that you've given us in Jesus' death and resurrection. Dear Father, may it not just be a head knowledge for us, but rather fill the whole of our lives so that it may shape the way we think, our aspirations and dreams, our emotions, our desires. We pray that uh, we'll be able to concentrate on your word and uh, leave us uh, to be free from all the distractions, from all the bad news of the world, and all the difficulties that we may experience in our daily life. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to begin uh, with a poll for you. So uh, the poll is this, um, who would die for you? Okay, I think some of you have done this question in your Bible studies, but I think it's good again just to reflect uh, on this very, very important question. Who do you think in your life uh, would die for you if necessary? Okay, so just spend a moment. Uh, you can, there's multiple choice, so you can you know, take more than one choice if you want. So uh, why don't you just fill that out? Okay, I'm going to close the poll very shortly. So if you haven't got your reply in yet, uh, now's the time. Can I go close it in about three, two, one seconds? Okay. Okay, I'm going to do something different today. Uh, you're expecting me to show the poll results, but I'm actually going to save that for later. As we come to today's passage, we see that actually Jesus is insulted, he's mocked, he's really unloved by everybody around him. Now, as we look at today's passage, really as we just look at the first part, which was excellently read to us by Minsin. Uh, who are the first two groups of people who really represent the whole crowd, uh, everybody who's there at the crucifixion of Jesus, who mock and insult Jesus? Well, if you look at the passage, you actually see that the first group of people are the centurions. Okay, so can you see the centurions here? You should be seeing it up on your screen. So the centurions, uh, as we see, uh, they mock Jesus. They insult, they struck Jesus with a stick and they crucified him. So that's the first group of people, uh, the Roman soldiers. And they, are, I think, in a sense, represent the Gentile people among the crowd that day. These are the people who are non-Jews. Uh, they are like the non-Kakilang of Jesus, right? They are the outsiders and they hate Jesus. They mock him, they struck him down on his head and they crucified him. But there's another group of people. And these group of people were actually Jesus' own people. They were Jews. They were his own kakilang. And the crowds of passers-by, they hurled insults at Jesus. But at the same time, we also see that the religious leaders, they also mocked and hurled insults at Jesus. Now, both of these groups of people, the Roman soldiers, together with the Jewish crowd and religious leaders, what exactly were they rejecting in Jesus? Why were they behaving this way? Why were they mocking him? Why were they insulting him? 
why were they putting him to death? Okay, now this is a very important question that we need to deal with right now. Now, if you look at today's passage, you'll see that they were mocking him and rejecting him for both the same reasons. So if you look at the passage here, you see that the reason why the Roman soldiers rejected Jesus was because he was the, what does it say? He was the king of the Jews, right? Hail king of the Jews, they shouted out. They put on a mock purple royal robe upon him. They twisted a crown of thorns on his head. They struck him and they called out to him in mockery, hail king of the Jews. They spat on him. They got down their knees before him. But really they were mocking him for being the king of the Jews. Now it's very interesting because as you actually go and and see this passage, uh, you actually see that the Jews actually reject Jesus for the very same reason. So again, uh, when they come before the crowd, when Jesus comes before the Jewish leaders, what do they exactly reject Jesus for? What do they mock Jesus for? Well, again, if you look at the passage, what does he say? It says, verse 32, let this Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. So both those two parts of the crowd, the Roman soldiers, the Jews, they are rejecting Jesus essentially and fundamentally and at the very heart of it as their king, the king of the Jews, they are rejecting him. And that's exactly what we are to understand from this passage because that's a theme that keeps being repeated to us from what Mark is showing us. So as we look at this passage, we see that the why, why are they exactly rejecting Jesus is found in the sense where they are rejecting Jesus as the king of the Jews. But that's so sad, isn't it? Such a tragedy because he truly is the king of the Jews. In fact, he's the king of the whole world. So as you can see from the slide that I've put in front of you, right at the very beginning, we've learned from the book of Mark that Jesus was the king who was bringing the kingdom of God. He was the Christ. But yet the Christ who had come into the world was being rejected, not just by his own people, the Jews and their religious leaders, but also by the very Romans who occupied the, Jew, the uh, Jewish territory. Now, I want us then to take a moment to look very clearly uh, a bit more about what the, the, uh, the Jewish leaders and the Jewish crowd cry out to Jesus. Because again, this is very important and we need to pay very great attention to this. So what do they actually scream out to Jesus while he is on the cross? Okay, so if we look at this passage here in verse 27, it says, let me highlight it for you, that will be more helpful. You notice that there's this repeated phrase of save yourself, right? So those passerbys who were walking by Jesus as he was hanging on the cross, they held insults at him and shook their heads saying in verse 28, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it again in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. Again, in verse 31, 
he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Come down from the cross. So what we're meant to see here, and what we're meant to pay attention to, is that really, they, the Jews themselves, are asking Jesus to come down from the cross and to save himself. They're mocking him by saying, look, you think you can save other people, but you can't even save yourself. Come down from the cross. Now, I want us to pay attention to this because I think this is very important for us to understand. Uh, what's happening here is dramatic irony. Okay, dramatic irony. Now, you may not understand what dramatic irony is, so let me just show it to you on the slide. Uh, dramatic irony is this. So, okay, this is what... Okay, so, sorry. So, as we look at this passage, we see that actually the crowd of Jews, as well as the Roman soldiers, they were very happy because Jesus was being crucified and they rejected him as the king of the Jews. But... He was really the king of the Jews. Now, what does that really mean for us today? What is it, what's the irony that's happening here in asking them to come down from the cross? The dramatic irony I was talking about. Okay, so if you look here, dramatic irony, if you look at the passage, is where uh, the, the people in the story say one thing, but we as the audience actually understand it as something else. So dramatic irony occurs when the meaning of the situation is understood by the audience, but not by the characters of the story. So the Jews, the passerbys, and the Jewish leaders, they're saying to Jesus, save yourself, come down from the cross. You know, you pretend to save other people, but you can't even save yourself. Now this is very important for us as we have read through the whole book of Mark, because we know that what they're saying is actually true, but what they're saying is not what they intend. Jesus has to say, stay on the cross in order to save other people. He saves other people by staying on the cross. So what they're saying is really true. He says, you know, you save others, but you can't save yourself. That is exactly true. Jesus cannot save himself because he is saving other people. So if you look here, uh, the cry is he saves others, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. But in order to save others, Jesus cannot save himself. He cannot come down from the cross. Now, why is it Jesus cannot come down from the cross? We've already learned this as we've been coming through the book of Mark, but it's good for us to remember why this is. So, the first reason that we know of is because in Mark chapter 10, Jesus already said that he was to give his life as a ransom for many. He was to give his life to pay for other people to be set free from judgment and sin. So he cannot come down from the cross. He cannot save himself. The second reason, as we read when Jesus talked about the Passover meal and about the giving of his body and the drinking of the cup of wine as his blood, is that he is the Passover lamb. He gives of himself so that judgment 
may pass over us. The third reason is because Jesus was drinking the cup of God's wrath on behalf of other people. So instead of people like you and people like me, the people in the crowd that day, instead of they drinking the cup of God's wrath and judgment on themselves, Jesus was drinking it on their behalf. And therefore, for these three reasons, Jesus could not come off the cross. He had to pay for our sins on the cross. He had to die on the cross so that judgment passes over us. And he had to drink judgment on himself so that the cup of wrath would pass us by. Now, um, I, um, I think that this is very clear as we look at what happens when Jesus hangs on the cross. So exactly what happens when Jesus hangs on the cross? Okay, so let's come back once again to what the Bible says. So when Jesus dies on the cross, uh, some strange phenomena happens. Right? So the phenomena is that at noon, okay, which is usually a very, very hot time of the day, the dark, darkness came across the whole land until three in the afternoon. Now I'm looking outside here. My sky is very sunny and I think I've never seen it dark in Singapore at noon. And I'm sure it's the same for you. But what we're seeing here is not some sort of, uh, you know, big storm coming over Jerusalem. You know, there's going to be a, a forecast of thunderstorms. Darkness in the Bible represents a judgment of God. Now, obviously, we don't have time to go through all the passages here, but I think that you would have gone through some of them in your Bible study. And you'd have seen uh, that when God brought judgment on Egypt and Pharaoh, uh, one of the plagues was darkness. And other times, darkness is associated with God's promise of judgment. So in the same way, darkness here, when Jesus hangs on the cross, represents God's judgment upon Jesus. Um, many years ago, uh, someone, uh, one of the Bible study groups, I think, uh, someone was very artistic and gave me, um, gave me this cross. It's very nice, isn't it? Like it's made out of uh, all these um, mirrors. But, but on the cross, uh, what happened that day? Uh, Jesus paid for his life as a ransom for us. Jesus was our Passover lamb. And, and Jesus took, oops, a bit crooked. Uh, Jesus drank the cup of God's wrath. And I think these three things show us why is it at that moment in time, darkness came across the land. Because when Jesus was on the cross, God was bringing judgment on him rather than on other people. The passage uh, then goes on. And at three in the afternoon, just before Jesus died, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Now, again, it is because Jesus was on the cross and judgment comes on Jesus 
that Jesus cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, Jesus actually takes upon himself the judgment of God because of sins. That means that Jesus, who was sinless, Jesus, who was righteous, actually at this moment in time is filled with the sin of the world. He's filled with the unrighteousness and wickedness of the world. So, because of that, God, who is a holy, righteous God, cannot be friends, cannot have a relationship with his son. Uh, a few uh, days ago, I watched this really uh, good movie. So let me show you what this movie was. It was, um, let me see this, good. Okay, uh, okay, darkness fell, okay, fine. So it's this movie, uh, which you should see up on your screen in a moment. It's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. And if you have a chance, I really highly recommend it. It's actually quite Christian as a movie. But in the movie, uh, Tom Hanks was saying that the, the sign language for friendship is two fingers hooked like this. Okay, so sign language for friendship is two fingers hooked like this. And I thought that was, that was so meaningful that in a sense, this is what a relationship is about, right? You know, like two fingers hooked together. But on that day, at 3 p.m. in the afternoon when Jesus was hanging on the cross, this relationship that he had always had with God the Father, one of perfect relationship, was separated because Jesus took on our sins and was forsaken, was rejected, was abandoned by God because God could no longer stand to be in the presence of Jesus who was now full of sin. Now, this is such an amazing thing, isn't it? Because here was Jesus, who was actually dying for people who were mocking him, calling for him to come down, calling for him to save himself. But in order to save them, he was dying on the cross for them. So I'm going to show you a quick cartoon, which uh, I kind of like created, I hope it works, uh, to show us uh, just how gracious and loving Jesus was to stay on the cross that day to die for people like us. So let me share if you see it works. Okay, so that's really uh, a summary of what's happening here. And I want to show you finally the results of uh, the poll that you filled out right at the beginning of the sermon where we asked the question, uh, who would be willing to die for you? And most of you put uh, your parents or maybe uh, your siblings, your brothers and sisters might die for you or a relative, uh, a friend. But but really, when you look at it, uh, only two of you put people who you have done bad things to or you have ignored. Uh, and that actually shows a measure of what Jesus does here, that he's actually doing an act of ultimate sacrifice to die on the cross to save people from their sins who are at the same time doing bad things to him, mocking and insulting and crucifying. And I think that's something that's truly amazing. So as we come to uh, the end of chapter 15, 
we see that Jesus is a dead king, but he dies so that he may save other people. But thankfully, this account doesn't end with Jesus dying on the cross. Because in chapter 16, we see that Jesus rises again from the dead. Now I'm going to read here from chapter 16. So give me a moment. Let me call out the passage. So chapter 16. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other who would roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, uh, right now, again, I want to uh, do a, um, another quick poll. So, just to make sure that you were concentrating, I want you to ask you this question. Okay. So, the question is, who was there that morning at Jesus' tomb? Was it Mary Magdalene? Was it the other apostles? Was it Salome? Was it Mary, the mother of James? Was it Joseph of Arimathea? Was it Peter, the apostle? Okay, so this is just a, you know, to make sure that you're still awake and concentrating this Sunday morning. Okay, so this is the result that, um, that you have filled out and many of you got things right. Now I want you to notice that it's actually the three women who were there that morning when Jesus rose from the dead. Mary Magdalene, Salome, Mary, the mother, of James. Now this is really weird, right? Because, you know, if you wanted to put together a really persuasive argument <clears throat> for the resurrection of Jesus, then in the ancient world, you would put Peter, Joseph, and the other apostles. Uh, the reason is because in the ancient world, women were really, really second-class citizens. They were really second-class citizens. So much so that women could not testify in court. So if you're reading Mark in the first century, it wouldn't be very persuasive for you. If you were a lawyer or a judge thinking, oh, you know, this wouldn't really be admitted into the court of law. So why does Mark record it this way? The reason is because Mark is a truthful, reliable, and he is a good witness. He's telling it as it really is. He's not fabricating or making up a fiction or a story or trying to, you know, create propaganda. He's telling you who really saw Jesus at that morning in the tomb. And so Mary Magdalene and the other two ladies, they went to the tomb that morning. They didn't expect Jesus to be risen. They were bringing uh, spices to anoint his body. And in their grief 
as they were walking to the tomb, they thought, oh no, who is going to move the stone? Because the reality is, uh, in those days, the stone that, that uh, was used to block the, the tomb was this huge tomb, okay? So you can see in this picture, this is a, a sample of the sort of stones which are used to be wedged over the, the, the tomb. So you can see uh, it's kind of like higher than where the groove is. So once you lock it into place, it's really hard for you to move it out unless, I mean, looking at this picture, you probably need like two or three or four really strong men to move the stone out of the way. And here you've only got three women. So they go to the tomb and what do they find? They go to the tomb and they find that the tomb is empty. Now, usually, uh, as you can see in this picture, when you go into the tomb, uh, the tomb usually has uh, a shelf where the body of Jesus would have been expected to be in. But the tomb, when they go in, is actually empty. So here is a picture once again. Uh, they would go into the tomb and they would find the body of Jesus there, but the tomb is actually empty. And so this is the second testimony, the testimony of the empty tomb. Because by itself, the empty tomb uh, is very, very persuasive, right? Because the women are too weak to roll the stone away. Jesus is dead. The disciples have all run off. And the authorities have no interest in removing Jesus from his tomb. But what comes next is really important as well. Because together with the testimony of the women and the empty tomb, we meet this guy who is this angel, so to speak, or messenger. When I was in the Bible study this week, we couldn't quite decide who he really was. Well, interestingly enough, in Mark chapter 9, earlier on in the book of Mark, we met another person whose clothes are also really white. Now, together with uh, the, the fear and the terror of the women, we, we probably think that this uh, person that they see in the tomb of Jesus is an angel. And this person says to the women that Jesus has risen and he's gone ahead of them to Galilee. Now, this is very, very important by itself. But for us who have read through the whole book of Mark, it is even more deep and profound. Because what it actually says is Jesus has risen because he has risen, that means that he is Christ the King. As we have read in the book of Mark, repeatedly Jesus had promised that he would go to Jerusalem, he would suffer, he would die, and he would rise again. And this was part of his plan. This was God's will for him as the Christ. So you remember what the um, dramatic irony was for the Jewish leaders, they said to Jesus, come down from the cross so that we may see and believe. Jesus was not going to follow their timetable, but instead he was going to follow his father's timetable. And here he has come down from the cross. He has risen from the dead. Now we must see and believe. So as we look at this passage, uh, I want to come to our conclusion now. Uh, I was reading an article by this guy who was uh, the big, like he's the CEO of the biggest hedge fund 
in the whole of the world. And he said that the secret of success was knowing the truth. And he said knowing the truth is essential to any good outcome. Knowing the truth is essential to any good outcome. And he said that the pursuit of truth is very important because he said the truth is not something that we may like. The truth is not something that we may be biased towards. We may not even like the truth. But we must acknowledge the truth, recognize the truth, and believe in the truth. And once we do that, he says, then you will be able to get a good outcome in life. And that's the secret of his success, he said. So as we come to the end of this passage, what is the truth? Well, as we look at this passage, two main truths come out. That Jesus died on the cross and that Jesus rose from the dead. Those are the key truths that Mark is trying to impress upon us deep into our hearts. If we know that truth, we acknowledge that truth, then what is the outcome? Once again, Mark tells us that if we believe in that, then we will know that Jesus paid for our sins as he stayed on the cross and died as a ransom for our sins. We also know that because Jesus rose from the dead, as he promised, he is the Christ who brings in his kingdom. So I hope that as we look at today's passage, we really see the two truths that Jesus rose, sorry, Jesus died on the cross for us. That Jesus rose from the dead and he is the Christ. And this is so important for us. We may take this for granted. I was just reading an article a few weeks ago, which was very sad, which is a survey of Christians in England. And apparently these are church-going Christians. But 40% of them do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now how sad that must be. Because they are not acknowledging and recognizing the truth. And because they do not recognize and acknowledge the truth, then there is no good outcome for them. They cannot know the risen Jesus. They cannot know Jesus the Christ who brings in his kingdom. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly pray that you will help us to understand and see the truth the truth that Jesus stayed on the cross to pay for my sins. That when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was because you rejected him because of my sins. When the sky grew dark, it was because judgment was coming upon him. So dear Father, help us to recognize the death of Jesus for me. Help me to see the grace of Jesus on my behalf. That he died for the Roman soldiers. He died for the Jews that day who were mocking him. And so he dies even for me. And dear Father, help us to see that the resurrection of Jesus is true. That Jesus indeed rose from the dead. It is witnessed by the testimony of the three women, the empty tomb and the angel. And indeed, he did go on to Galilee and was witnessed by many and did rise up to sit at your right hand. And so help us to see that Jesus kept his promises. He is the Christ. He is the king. And he did bring in his kingdom. And we have a certain hope 
to be in that kingdom. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.